Hey everyone, welcome to This Lesbian Ship is Intense. I'm Katie. And I'm V. And uh, we're going to come back at you with a part two of Bly Manor because we talked way too fucking much about this show. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of emotional shit to get through. So, uh, yeah, let's get back to it. Oh, actually, before we get into it, um, I wanted to let you all know about a book titled If the Boot Fits, written by Rebecca Witherspoon, an award-winning romance author who has a reputation for writing inclusive romances full of consent, but not kink-shaming. She's also the creator of WOC and Romance.com, an online resource for discovering romances written by women and non-binary people of color. Set on a Black-owned luxury dude ranch, If the Boot Fits is a modern take on the tale of a struggling Cinderella who finds her prince charming as they try to turn one magical night into forever. So if that's something that you're interested in, check it out. Um, And now we can get back to Bly Manor. Um, But before we get into the episodes, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the actors and how much we love them? You know, before we start to cry. Um, I really loved seeing Victoria Pedretti back as uh, Nell. Uh, no, she was Nell in House. <laughs> she played Danny. Um, I really loved her as an actress in Hill House. Um, I thought Nell and Theo are the most complex and dynamic characters uh, in Hill House. So I really like to see Victoria back and get, play a completely different character. Like, I was shocked at the beginning with how different Danny was from Nell. Like, I wasn't even thinking about Nell. What, two minutes in, I wasn't even thinking about Nell anymore, even though I knew it was her. Um, the guy that played the father was back as the uncle. Um, Kate Siegel um, makes a special appearance in an episode. Peter Quint is back as Luke and is a completely different person, unfortunately. <laughs> but he's a great you said actor. It backwards, but yeah. What did I say? He's here as Luke. Peter Quint is back as Luke. Yeah. But you said it backwards. Oh, Peter Quint is back. He was Luke in Hill House. And it's unfortunate, really, because they're very different. But he's a great actor. I thought he was very good in it at being bad. Um,. Oh, and then the one and only Carla Gugino is back in this episode with a great special reveal at the end. Um, Yeah, I was really happy. I think so. Um, I was really happy to see um, familiar faces, especially Victoria. I loved her as Nell. And so seeing her back um, as Danny was fantastic. And I really also enjoyed the actor who played Luke. So... I didn't particularly like Peter Quint, but I liked seeing the actor um, in a very different role. <laughs> yeah, I really thought it kind of showcased his abilities uh, because I thought he was very good as Peter. Um, it made him very layered while still recognizing he is bad, which is, I think, challenging to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, yeah, I was I was really glad to see them back. Victoria, I'm not a person. I love actors because I like actors because of their performances. I don't really care about anything else about them. And like I don't like to follow actors anymore though. Like I want them to succeed and get cool jobs and stuff, but I only want to watch stuff I want to watch, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I really am so into Victoria's acting. I'm like considering watching you just to watch her in it. Um, I watched you, um, which makes me so angry. (sighs) 
in so many ways. Oh my God. I'm not going to go there. But her going from Nell to love to Danny, I literally was just like, I'm in love with Victoria. Like, and it's only her acting. I really don't care that much about her. Like, and that's how I feel about a lot of actors that are in the show, actually. Like, I'm super obsessed with their acting. I really like reading how they, like, approach their characters and they approach their performances. I think it's so interesting. And, like, Victoria, I have a lot to say. I think Amelia Eve did a really good job as Jamie. Um, and I have a lot to talk about with Jamie. But, like, Victoria, there's just something so fascinating to me about how she approaches her characters. It's like, she always comes at it from a different perspective than you've seen before and so she always does like very small interesting things with the character and i don't know if she's like actively thinking about it or she just embodies them like that but i just really appreciate her approach to acting yeah i think that she i think what i like so much about her acting is that I truly believe her as the character that she is like, and that's seeing her across three different characters. Um, I think that sometimes some actors can like, you know, like you just, you get to know them and their mannerisms and their behaviors. And it feels very much like the actor and not the, the character that they're portraying. And I feel like, I don't know. I just, well, she does completely different accents for characters, even when they're (laughs) American. Yeah. She specifically did a Midwestern accent for this because she thought that, um, like, someone in that time period would have a thicker accent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's actually what makes Danny such an interesting character as a Midwestern lesbian woman in in the 80s like yeah there's a lot to that like the internet did not exist back then <laughs> like it's a whole different world the world is different yeah <laughs> um so yeah uh i will probably gush about her more as we go along because she's she's just really a talent um but then tania tania miller who played hannah was just fa- uh, uh, a world to behold. I thought she was so great. I love her. Oh I, my god! <laughs> that interview where she like didn't want to kiss Rahul because of his mustache. No, so like the only interview <laughs> I've read or the only article I've read about the show is that IndieWire one because like I literally just finished watching this series and then I cried about it in therapy and then I had to rewatch the Damie scenes for this podcast. <laughs> so I've not read any fucking articles or interviews. <laughs> she she fidgeted like Rahul would tease her that they would have a kiss, but she didn't want to because she didn't want to kiss his mustache. <laughs> That's the woman after our own hearts right there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but also like she her episode like is like objectively without like my emotional ties weighed in, the best episode of the of the series, in my opinion. Um, it was like the most compelling for me individually. Um, she just knocked that out of the park. Um and also um, Tahira Sharif, who plays Rebecca, I don't think Rebecca is the easiest character to love just by the nature of her being stuck in this toxic relationship. However, I thought she had a very compelling and beautiful performance as Rebecca. Yeah, I thought she did a really great job as Rebecca. Um, 
I it's interesting because I I had such aggravating feelings because I really liked Rebecca, but I was also really aggravated with her for being in the relationship. And I attribute that to the actress. Like, I think she did a good job of making me care about her, but also being really frustrated. And that is what happens when someone you care about is in an abusive relationship. Um, Ooh. The, the amount of times I try to sell, try to like not victim blame where I was just like, oh, I was getting so upset though. Cause I, cause I just wanted her to be okay. And I'm like, girl, you deserve better than this. Uh, and it makes it equally tragic watching her scenes knowing she's going to die and wondering how it's mm. going to be and how it's going to be at the hands of this man. Yeah. Um, so uh, she did a great job as well. Uh, and the kids. Say, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I knew that motherfucker was going to be the cause of her death, but I did not realize how fucking fucked up his being the cause oh, of her death was going to be. We'll, we'll talk about that when, it, when we get to it, because that was fucked up. One of the most fucked up things in the show. And also, I love the little kids. Like, I didn't think they were creepy. Um, I love Flora, though, with all my heart. I can't help it. She reminds me of my niece, so I just have, like, a strong affinity towards her. Um, but M Little Miles is a good little actor. I mean, he was creepy as fuck, but I thought he was a good, good little actor. I would agree. I thought Flora was adorable. Creepy in the sense that she kept, like, staring off into space, but not creepy on her own. And then Miles... The actor, I think, did a really great job with some of his facial expressions when he was like, you know, Peter. And I was like, you're a creepy little shit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then I really loved Owen as well. He gave me such Hugh Grant from Notting Hill vibes. I really can't get over it. I loved all of those movies so much uh, growing up. And so I just had a strong affinity towards Owen and really appreciated him. He's the only man that I love. <laughs> you know, I think this might be one of the only shows where, like, I liked everybody. Like, I, I liked too. everybody. Yeah, I really didn't have any complaints. I, um, and, you know, it's interesting because when we, the last episode, uh, the, we found out it was written by a lesbian and, um, she talks about, like, some of her influences in the, in the show. So she was heavily influenced by Imagine Me and You, which is very obvious visually in the show. Mm -hmm. um, and then, which everybody really loves that movie and I like it, but it's not a movie I ever really want to rewatch. I don't know. I must be weird in that way. Um, the Notebook and um, If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, which is quite funny because that plays into all of my interests. And... Um, the notebook was a really formative experience for me as a young gay. Um, I remember, this is embarrassing, but I remember going to see the notebook with my best friend for the first time by ourselves in theaters and having a literal freak out during the sex scene between her and Ryan Gosling because I was so attracted to Rachel McAdams in that moment. I did not know what to do with myself. You had a gay panic. I had a gay panic for the first time in my life. Like where I panicked about it, I guess. It yeah. was much more subtle before that moment in the movie theater because of Rachel McAdams. Oh my god. Um that's really funny to me. As you were talking about um it being like in your formative years, I was like, what was happening in my life then? I was dating a guy. Um and still in deep oblivion. 
yeah, it did something for me. So I was like, wow, just like that deeply affected me. This show is deeply affecting me. <laughs> oh my God, I have so many relationship feels for whenever we get to that. Like, I mean, it's episode nine that just fucks me up. Sorry, one pause. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, just a brief interruption. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Get your food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to be in for the long haul, haul tonight. What did she bring you? <laughs> she brought me Smirnoff vodka, um, strawberry and rose infused for my Sprite that I ordered from McDonald's in case I run out of my Captain and Coke. <laughs> that is true love. You want to talk about a love story. <laughs> It's Karen oh. constantly bringing you things. Or I know. During the podcast. <laughs> oh, <God. sighs> okay. Episode seven is one of the most devastating episodes of the show for me, where we learn how Rebecca Jessel dies. Oh, yeah. I need your opinion on this because I don't understand. When Jessel agrees... To do the it's me, it's you, it's us thing. And have Peter, like, I hate to say it this way, like, come inside her. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, is she agreeing to die? Or, no. like, what? I don't, because later it doesn't seem like she's on board with the dying part. So what is she, like, agreeing to in that moment? Like, what does she think is going to happen? I think that the way that Peter explained it before is that he had been in her body like and could only be there temporarily because he'd gone there without kind of like her complete willingness um, and that she naturally was pushing him out. And so that he was like, I know a way that we can leave, but you have to completely accept me and we can both be together within your body. And so I think that she was fully accepting him as like basically cohabitants of her mortal body. At that idea, it's more similar to what the idea we start to see with Peter and Jessel uh, trying to possess Miles and Flora, that right. they can like leave once they fully accepted them as yep. part of them. Yep. Okay, I get that. I, I can see that. But then because he doesn't want to be trapped as a ghost by himself forever, mm -hmm. he kills her. Like a motherfucking little bitch. Yes. <laughs> and the scene where he's drowning her, number one is like visually stunning with the water in the room and everything. Mm -hmm. Like it's very visually impressive. But it's like uh, that performance where she like realizes she's abandoned and like uh tries to wake up but can't like save herself and then you just mm -hmm. see her as a ghost like seeing her dead body i was fucked up watching that okay do you know what fucking pisses me the oh off the most okay so not only does this motherfucker go and fucking kill her instead of like having a conversation with her. I expected him to be manipulative and be like, kill yourself, come be with me, blah, blah, whatever. But he fucking takes possession of her body, takes her into that fucking lake so that she can fucking drown. And then he leaves her body so that she can feel her death. Because he he's doesn't such a even stick with her because he exactly. can't deal with it. He's a little bitch. And it especially pisses me off when you see Jessel with Flora say, let me in, accept me, I will feel it for you. The like selflessness oh my God. to do that for her. That made me cry. Like I cool. was crying watching that. That is love. 
Yeah, that is love. And that's what Rebecca is showing. Like, it also is like, it shows some character growth for Rebecca that isn't, I, you can't call it satisfying because you're always going to be like haunted by how Rebecca shouldn't have died. But it it is somewhat satisfying as an audience member to see her recognize that the love she had with Peter wasn't good love. And then for her to then show what real love is and that she knows with Flora and that just like fucking wrecked me. Then we have a whole episode of backstory on Viola Lloyd, who turns to be the lady of the lake. So it's controversial because some people really like it. Some people don't oh, like it. Okay. Uh, because right at kind of the climax of the episode, we just jump into a whole episode of backstory, I think. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, interestingly, yes. My wife expresses to me where she wished it would have been more integrated in the rest of it. But I personally appreciate the fact that it was left at the end because I appreciated this, like, eeriness that I didn't understand throughout yeah. the throughout the series until the very end they give me what i need to move into episode 9 i liked it i have mixed feelings because like watching it live i was just incredibly frustrated because i was so interested and what was happening in that episode. Mm. But I was just like, I am very concerned about Danny right now. Can we <laughs> see what is happening with Danny? Because this is a character I followed for the past seven episodes and I'm very invested in what happens to her. So like, I think that's where like my critique of the placement comes from is like when you're invested in the other characters, it's like kind of frustrating to be given this backstory. But the other part of me, thought it was like perfect timing mm -hmm. because we're really getting to see like the kind of lore of the show which I always like learning about and getting to understand like the dynamics of the house and what's happening and I also think like it is strategic even if it doesn't feel that way to everybody to place an episode about the lady of the lake right before Danny becomes the lady of the lake, because you need those two things mm -hmm. in juxtaposition of each other when you're starting to see what happens to Danny and to be confronted with that idea of like what losses and what happens over time and who these ghosts, who these people who become ghosts become mm -hmm. um, as like time and memories fade and they lose themselves and like as someone that's confronted grief like that's very true and that's what's that's like as someone that's lost someone that is the fear the fear is that you can't remember anymore mm -hmm. i think viola is the tragic villain and i thought they gave layers to her and it's always great to see kate siegel i really enjoyed i mean i always enjoy backstories i do um so for me i didn't appre i didn't like mind that we went back before we could continue forward and I felt a lot for Viola like you know not wanting to let go of your life you could see that as um people dealing with like terminal illness like yeah it's not 
easy to let go and i just like appreciated things about her like how she refused to say she would obey a man how she refused to have the rights be read to her how she literally refused death like yeah there's something about that that i think is like really interesting about her and i like a classical call to horror with like the black and white episode and like the whole time period mm -hmm. and everything so i mean i just feel bad for both of them in like Viola, like not wanting to let go of her life and like the fear and the sadness of like not being there to raise her child. Um, and then the anger over her sister. And I understand her sister, you know, this like wanting to take care of her, but also how that like grates on you day after day. And I'm really upset with her because had she killed her sister in mercy, that would have been one thing, but it wasn't mercy um, at the time that she did it. And Oh, you know, she thought that she was making a decision with Viola's clothing that would help the family, but started this entire fucking curse. Yeah, and I also think, like, it's an interesting thing. Like, the, they established the the phrase, it's me, it's you, it's us. Mm -hmm. And the way it's established is, like, this entity of pure love between a mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. And then it starts getting warped on these methods of like protection. But then at the end, I think the reason why it works, um, and I guess we'll kind of jump into what happens in the next episode. So Danny gets out of the Lady of the Lake's grasp because Flora sacrifices herself uh, and jumps in front of the Lady of the Lake and she sees a child. And so she takes, she drops Danny and takes Flora so we have the moment where Rebecca decides to like take on uh Flora's pain like an ultimate sacrifice for her mm -hmm. um which was beautiful to see like the two all pairs for Flora like risking themselves for her yeah Danny in a last ditch effort because she doesn't know what else to do uh to save Flora say it's me it's you it's us so I really liked like after it being misused for possession that it shows up again here in an effort to protect a child in the way mm -hmm. that it was originated between Viola and her daughter. And I think that's why it worked. And Viola accepted the invitation, even if she didn't realize it. Okay. I do like the cycle of it, like, returning to its original intention. And then uh, Jamie and Owen, like, had both had a bad dream and felt like something was deeply wrong. And so they show up and jamie like physically sees this happen so she doesn't really interact with the supernatural as much but she like sees what happens with viola and viola possessing danny this is kind of funny but you know when it shows her eye color change from like blue to brown and then like zooming in on her eyes like i was watching it in daylight so i couldn't see that happen so I was like, why are they zooming in on her face like this? <laughs> like, I truly did not understand why there was, like, such an emphasis on her eyes. But now I get it. Like, they were showing the possession. I'm going to have to look at that again more closely because, oh, my God. Okay. I'm not. I thought I was just, like, seeing shit. <laughs> that makes more sense. Good thing they have the narration that tells you what happens, too, for those of us that couldn't see it. <laughs> 
And then, I don't know, like, I really loved Danny's character being, like, a lesbian caretaker of children in this time period. I, like, grew up thinking I couldn't be a teacher because I was gay. Like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't be around children. So, like, seeing a lesbian woman sacrifice for this child was extremely powerful to me. Danny is, like, ending the cycle of abuses that has gone on for centuries in this house and and with these children. And then kind of the symbolism of these two women rescuing this woman from the lake and the image we have with the two of them with Flora is really powerful to me. Oh, my God. Yes. I didn't have feelings like that, but I have frequently heard people's feelings around just like, you know, do same-sex parents get to like adopt children you know this idea that like same-sex um the people who are not straight are perverse in some way and thus you know a danger to children and seeing them be there for this child just like was so significant for me and just all the acting here is like heartbreaking and like very emotional and you're like in it and then owen finds out that hannah's gone and we see Owen and Jamie look down the well at Hannah's body. And then we get like this beautiful narration of like how Owen like stayed with her until she was like risen from the well and like physically like washed her body with lavender and loved her like the whole way through and still loves her to this day. And like, The tears were fucking flowing for me during this little bit. (sighs) Yeah, I just felt their love and the loss of what could have been. Like, there's something, like, very heartbreaking in the tenderness in which he cares for her in death because he couldn't give her that tenderness in life. And then... (sighs) We have, like, Jamie coming to Danny's room, and, like, Victoria's performance in the scene just, like, really gets to me. Uh, Danny tells Jamie, like, what it feels like to have Viola inside of her, and she feels like she has this, like, tortured, angry beast inside of her, and that, you know, it's quiet right now, but one day this beast is going to take her. Jamie is so, like, visibly moved and upset by what Danny's experiencing that it like just packs on the emotion even more. And then it makes Jamie's offer to Danny even more poignant. Jamie sits next to Danny and says, do you want company while you wait for your beast in the jungle? Do you want company? Danny is like emotional and unsure about agreeing, but She, like, makes eye contact with Jamie and then accepts the pinky promise and Jamie kisses her hand and it's just very emotionally resonant to me. So, you know how art in, you know, TV shows, movies, all kinds of shit can speak to people in a variety of ways. And so for me, a lot of 109 speaks to me about my most recent struggles with my mental health and Mm -hmm. the impact on my relationship. And for me in this scene, when Danny talks about, I feel her in here so quiet, but she's in here. 
makes me think about my own difficulties lately with my anxiety. And when I have good days, but it's still there, you know, Mm -hmm. just under the surface and how uncomfortable it is to know that it's still there and it doesn't feel like a part of you, but it is a part of you. And so Jamie saying, you know, do, do you want company and willing to be there while you're struggling with your own beast feels so important to me. And so like, as we continue, a lot of my interpretations of their scenes are my own projections of my own feelings around my anxiety. And I think that's kind of the point, because there's a lot, there's a couple analogies that you could make. One, obviously, with mental health. And two, you know, there's, to me, an obvious analogy of a person with either mental health or, like, a chronic or terminal illness and what that's like for them. And then what it's also like for their partner. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it's an experience for both of them. And I just think it's setting the tone in such a powerful way that Jamie's not trying to fix her or say something's wrong with her. She's just offering to be there with her. And also, like, what really strikes me about the scene is, like, I kind of feel like it's the first time that Danny actually processes what happened to her with Viola uh, possessing her. So I think that's also, like, very important that Danny opens up in the beginning about what this is like. Um, so then she can continue to live with it um, and have Jamie by her side. So ugh, just incredible scene, incredible acting, in my opinion. And again, I think speaks to the relationship that they have. You know, she didn't t- get to talk to anyone about how she was feeling about Edmund. And right. now she's got this massive thing that's terrifying. And rather than trying to hold it to herself and deal with it on her own indefinitely, she knows she can talk to Jamie about this. And I think that's what's powerful. It's like this idea that if you do acknowledge it and you do talk about it, life might not be perfect, but you also might get moments of peace and you might get moments of joy. And like, this is not something we should be ashamed of like whatever analogy you want to make for it, like you, this is something to like embrace. And you know, another analogy that could be made, which I don't know if it's intentional. And I know like they're lesbians and not gay men, but this is happening in the late eighties and Mm nineties. So you could definitely make with a gay couple an AIDS analogy here. Yeah. And then we have a, a nice little moment that I think also is kind of establishing the relationship dynamic when they're saying goodbye to the kids and like Danny's talking to Flora. She kind of like reaches out to Jamie for like assurance, like both like physical comfort while she's talking to her. And like Jamie kind of jumps in and kind of explains things to the kids where Danny struggles. And I think that's kind of important, important to show like right away. They're kind of, starting to lean on each other Mm -hmm. and then Danny's goodbye with Flora really makes me emotional because Danny sacrificed herself for this little girl and now this girl gets to live like her own life and it's it's powerful stuff man and then we get in the truck as they drive off with Bly Manor in the rearview mirror I have to say to you 
so do you remember the last time we talked and I was like, oh, I'm on episode five and you're like, oh, it's Hannah Grace's episode. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up binge watching like the rest of the series, um, like stayed up all night, did not go to sleep. Listen, that conversation was so hard because you're like, I don't know, like I do really bad with emotional (laughs) stuff. And I was like, how do I not spoil this but say like, I need you to be prepared. (laughs) So, so the intention was I was like working and I was like, oh, let's put on one episode while I'm working. And then I was like, okay, like I'm still handling this. Okay. So let's watch the next episode. I stayed up till six in the morning. I watched the rest of it. I was interested and I was addicted, but I also was like, I want this to be over. Yeah. Like I wanted to know that like it was resolved. And so when I saw Jamie and Danny driving away in the vehicle, I was like, sweet, we're done. And I pressed pause to see how much longer we had. And I was like, shut the fuck up. I was like, what the, what else do we have for half an hour? I was like, what the fuck? Even at this point, like as you're driving away and we get a, you all right, Poppins, which is cute. I was like, what is going to happen? Like, I was still at this moment not prepared for us to get this like lesbian love story at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, what can else happen? Everything is resolved. Like, where where are we going with this? Like, my my brain didn't go, oh, we're going to get to see Danny and Jamie together now. Like, that is not what I thought was about to happen. Me neither. I was like, what fucking, what fucking gruesome, awful thing is about to happen? Me too. That's literally, we were on the same page there. So, um, we're in a cafe in America. And Jamie's talking about how maybe they should go to Vermont for Christmas. She always wanted to see snow when she watched White Christmas as a kid. And Danny, you see her kind of looking at her reflection, not seeing anything. And she's not sure about making plans and if she's going to last till Christmas at this point. And Jamie looks at her with a smile and says... As long as those days are with you, Poppins, one day at a time is what we've got. It's what anyone's got when we get down to it. I like this kind of twofold. This is the first time that Danny's in a relationship that she really feels, you know, like really Mm -hmm. wants to be in. And like, I think that hesitation about whether or not this relationship is going to last period and then thrown on top of the fact that she's got fucking Viola living within her. Um, So I like the, the two aspects of this whole like not wanting to plan for the future (sighs) and I appreciate Jamie's you know just being there with it and it's just like it's okay that you don't want to plan for the future and let's take it one day at a time and I just really appreciate that like acceptance you know like it's just kind of gorgeous in a way where someone is like battling with their own mortality and a person like genuinely like loves and cares about them to say like I want to spend my time with you regardless of what you're going through like that your demons aren't impacting how I feel about you as a person Danny's face when she says this like just kind of makes me melt a little bit she's like experiencing this kind of reciprocation that she hasn't felt before and then we uh, find out it's a year later and we see a flower shop called The Leafling. Jamie closes up shop and walks up to Danny with a moonflower that hasn't quite bloomed yet and says, I've got a problem or we've got a problem, Poppins. 
I'm not sick of you. Actually, I'm pretty in love with you, turns out. And they kiss. Did you say that it's been a year? Because it's been a year now. Yeah. It's been a year. And do you think this is the first time they told each other they loved each other? I don't think that it's the first time. I think that the significance in this for me is like acknowledging that a year has gone by, but the like the intensity of adoration and love has not waned. I read it as this is the first time that they said I love you to one another because God, we've been together for a year and you haven't told me I love you yet. But I read it as, like, Danny thinks she's going to die. Like, I could see, like, there be a real hesitance on, like, fully admitting that. Because once you admit that, the pain of losing that is stronger. Jamie, like, cultivates and grows this moonflower in secret, presumably, and gives it to Danny as a way of showing her physically, like, Yes, in fact, you are my moonflower. I don't care what comes of us. Like, I'm not sick of you. I'm in love with you. And that's, like, what they need to, like, fully be able to, like, commit and love each other as time moves forward. I think that's more romantic and poetic and beautiful. I don't know that I believe it, but I think it's nicer. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I read the scene. Either way, I think both are good I just relate to this shit so much because like I had been with my ex for like six or seven years and then I didn't want to date anyone and my wife was the first person who was like I'll do whatever it is that we're doing for as long as we're doing it and that is what I needed then so like I relate to this whole like it's been a year and I'm still not sick of you and I really like you actually and I want to continue this And then, like, they have that kiss. You know, there's just, like, that elation and joy, and I agree. I think all of their kisses match the situation. Where it's, like, they're smiling so much that they just, like, are gravitating towards each other, but they can't stop smiling. Like, yeah. It's such happiness. And this is where I started to get, like, very emotional and very upset watching it. Because... This is the moment where I'm starting to feel that, like, strong sense of, like, bittersweet unfairness. No, but, like, something's going to happen to Danny. That feeling of doom, like, starts here for me. Yep. Oh, God, yes. And then, like, you know, and then, oh, God. As the narrator is talking about how, like, you know, she has happiness and peace and that year turned into another and then we see them up against that mattress moving in together and oh like my that God. ass fucking like laughter kiss where like Danny's just like oh you're being ridiculous but like eh, ha 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 but also like hey yeah kids like fucking speaks to my soul <laughs> I loved it because like I don't feel like we get to see this shit on TV we like- don't I don't, I can't even tell you a similar gay thing I've watched that I got to see something like that on. I really can't. You're also in this like two second moment establishing kind of a lot in their relationship because it's kind of this like, uh, like a little disagreement a little Mm -hmm. bit and and Jamie kind of like uses sex to get over (laughs) it. I was so like, oh my God, the chemistry, like they really went for it in that moment. 
I loved it. The transition here is that it's been five years around the sun, which is immediately where we should be worried, which I wasn't yet, because that's the same thing they said about Viola. Narratively, it's like preparing us, I think, but I was just like, oh my God, they've had five years together when I watched it. But like, we're comparing the Lady of the Lakes here, I think. And, and how they get to that place is very different. So you're also establishing them as different ladies of the lakes because Viola's was out of tragedy and sickness and Danny's is out of love and happiness and peace. God, I didn't even pay attention to like that parallel with the five years around the sun. But Jamie crawls into bed and lays down next to Danny and Danny immediately tangles her legs up into Jamie's. And again, when do we see these small intimate moments on screen between queer characters? It was like this immediate thing, like like showing their connection with each other. And also, like, it was so specific to women. And I wonder about this because, like, obviously I only have my own experiences. Every night when I crawl into bed, I, like, reach out and I tangle my legs into my wife's every fucking night. I need to feel connected to her. Recently, I've been struggling with my mental health, which has had some impact on my relationship. And there were a few nights where we were not good. And when I crawled into bed, I had to stay on my side of the bed. And the fucking torture I felt and the lack of peace that I felt by not being able to just crawl in there and just like tangle myself into her existence and be the two of us like was so fucking hard. So for me watching this at this point in my life, like I just started sobbing when that happened. And like, does everyone do this? Does everyone tangle their legs with their significant other? Cause I sure as hell do. Couldn't tell you, but <laughs> I just liked it in not a personal sense. It wasn't something where I would could like point in another romance I've seen and be like, oh, that's something that no one Allie did in the notebook. Like I'm not jumping to another like mm -hmm. example of what that looks like. No, like this is what Jamie and Danny look like. And this is what like two women look like. In an God, I want to know now, like do other lesbians do this? Is this like a, a woman thing? I feel like it's a female intimacy thing. And also how they're touching each other. It feels so natural when actresses that have a female love interest have to do like physical intimacy. Like it's not only kisses, like actual watching physical intimacy. Half the time it's so awkward and feels so unnatural. Do you know what my brain went to? Jenny's wedding. <laughs> oh, Jenny's wedding. <laughs> And those are supposed to be good actresses. And their physical intimacy was so bad. Like, I felt this relationship when I was watching it. It felt super authentic. The words from the, the performances, from the kisses, in down to, like, the touching for me. Which is important. Like, we deserve to see that. You know what I mean? And then the narrator, she says, at, at long last, deep within the all pair's heart, there was peace. And that peace held for years, which is more than some of us ever get. And then we see Danny see Viola at the window in the flower shop. Viola fades and like Jamie shines through the window. Jamie is the grounding force to keep Danny herself for as long as she's able to stay herself. 
And actually, Jamie is the grounding force that keeps Danny herself until the very end. Instead of truly becoming Viola. I, I think back to like how at the beginning, like we talk about Jamie being her person of comfort, you know, and throughout she continues to be that person who comforts her. She's that person who grounds her that she can confide in. She is her person. Um, and I think it's fucking beautiful and emotional. And when she comes into the house with that fucking plant, you know, and she looks so, she looks like emotional, you know, it's, it's, she knows that her time is coming and that whatever time she has left, she wants that commitment or she wants it with Jamie, which she already has. But I think it's interesting that while she felt this, these anxieties in planning to marry Edmund, that it's something that she wants with Jamie, even though she legally can't have. I'm going to read the proposal because I think it's Um Danny brings the plant and has like a ring hidden in the roots that she knows Jamie will find. And it's a clattering um, and Jamie's Irish, yeah? I don't think she's Irish. I think she's Northern English. Oh, really? Oh, I assume she was Irish. Okay, let's go on. Um, But it, the clattering, I think, is of significance and like weighted significance because it can't get married yet. Um, So they don't have like a traditional ring, like with diamonds and shit. Like it's a ring of meaning for them. And then Danny looks at Jamie when she finds the ring and says, here's the thing. You're my best friend and the love of my life. And I don't know how much time we have left, but however much it is, I want to spend it with you. And I know we can't technically get married, but I also don't really care. We can wear the rings and we'll know. And that's enough for me if that's enough for you. And Jamie is like in tears Mm -hmm. and says, I reckon that's enough for me. Yeah. And they kiss and like, this is actually one of my favorite kisses of the whole thing. And they like whisper, I love you to each other and they embrace, embrace each other. And I really love that we like get to see this whole moment. Like nothing's rushed about it because we fucking should get to have a whole moment here because they can't really have it because they can't get married technically. So like the show is like, this is how I know it was written by a lesbian because like the show like really understands the weight of that and that, you know, you, you feel that when you're watching this, like the unfairness, like the unjust reality that these two women face and not being able to be married given everything they experience and how much they love each other and how much they like want to be together that they can't actually get married on top of the unfairness of their life, you know? I loved the way they kissed and the way Jamie held onto Danny's, like, neck slash head during that kiss. And I think about how many times in other shows are there significant moments in their queer characters' lives and it's met with a hug or no affection. And the fact that we got to see what I think is an appropriate intimate response to an intimate um, event 
Someone on Twitter talked about how their straight friends like don't understand the significance of this. It's something that my wife and I have been talking a lot about. I've mentioned in the past that she and I married in 2016, right around the election. And I did not believe that Donald would get elected. I really, really didn't. Right after the Supreme Court shit. So gay marriage is on everybody that's gay is mine to just watch it generally. So I was a fucking mess like when we got married and I was just like terrified of like what could potentially happen. You know, marriage didn't matter to me when I thought I was straight. I, I didn't want to get married. Um, but when I met her, I like I did. I wanted to get married and I wanted everything that came with it. And seeing these two women love each other enough to want that kind of commitment and not be able to have it is so emotionally devastating to me. Because I can't imagine not having that ability. It was so significant and important to me to be able to do that. And it breaks my heart that it hasn't been something that people could do freely for as long as straight people have had the right to do. You feel the weight of that tragedy? Mm -hmm. That you're these two women who like, deeply love and adore one another that can't get married and like after everything they've been through so to see them like come out of the other side of these tragedies and like find each other but still they're still like haunted by it and like that's not something that they can really share with the masses and then their love is something only they can know so there's just so much in the phrase like we can ring wear the rings and we'll know. And then to have that be like something so visually prominent throughout the rest of the series, like especially with Jamie, like you constantly are seeing that ring on her finger. It's also just like painful because Jamie is the happiest we've ever seen her. But like, because of everything with Danny, like, she doesn't get to, she can't feel that way. Like, it's so bittersweet for her almost. She wants this and she, like, is happy to experience it, but she's also wondering how long she does. Yep. She's waiting for, for the shoe to fall. And Victoria plays it well, I think. Like, this balance between, like, love and happiness because you do see that in her to be with Jamie but like the weight of what this means also just that feeling of waiting for the inevitable doom to happen and it can be hard to enjoy the moment here like I really draw back to the earlier parallels between like Jamie and Owen and Owen and his mom Owen says you know his mom was his anchor and she could only let her hang on to him until it was time to let go. So in this moment, like I really felt kind of that symbolism of Jamie being Danny's anchor to reality still Viola, because like the way she's hugging her, like Danny's like kind of really clutching her. Like she's hanging on to her. Yeah. Um, And so I found that, like that kind of parallel and imagery really powerful as well. Uh, and then we have the, we show up in Paris at Owen's restaurant called a batter place. 
Owen's a man that loves his puns. And we see Owen kind of, I think, celebrating their engagement, marriage. I don't really know where we are. But he says, so. I'm so pleased for you both and kind of pops uh, champagne for them. And they cheers to Hannah. And in this moment, Danny sees a ghost in the picture. And then the kids get brought up. Um, and it doesn't really seem like Danny and Jamie keep up with them very much, but Owen does. And Danny asks if they're happy, and they find out that the kids don't remember anything that happened. Like, they know they stayed there, and they know in theory who these people are, but they don't have, like, specific memories about it. And then Danny wonders if Henry will ever tell the kids, and... Owen says, would you tell them we should let them live their lives as they should without this hanging over them? And it's a very poignant moment for both Danny and Jamie because they don't get to live without it hanging over them. Why do you suppose the children don't remember? I think it's this idea, like, especially paralleling Hill House, how mm -hmm. they wanted to, like, break the cycle for the children so more so kind of like why it was written that way and not like why I was like, is it because they were possessed for so much of like their time? Is it? I think you could justify it with a trauma reaction. Okay. That yeah. they were so possessed, they were possessed for so much of it that so much of it wasn't their real memories. So they just kind of let, had them fade away and blocked them. That's the only thing that I could like even think of. Cause I was just like, it's a lot to not remember. Danny's sacrifice is the reason that breaks this curse, like this repeated trauma going on. And the kids have already experienced enough with like their parents and everything else. Um, but like Danny's still a little bit bitter about it. There's still kind of this bitterness that these kids now get to live their life like without this thing looming over them when she's starting to feel that pressure way heavier and heavier and she doesn't get that with Danny doesn't get that with Jamie when they do deserve that oh I didn't think about any kind of bitterness I thought more so that she just accepted that her time is coming and she wanted to know that what she did like had the intended purpose and that's why she wanted to know that the kids were happy well, I think initially, but I think there is, uh, like, watching it, I did get a little bit of a sense of bitterness that she did all of this and they don't even remember, like, what mm -hmm. she did for them. So we are, like, in their apartment and Danny and Jamie are doing the dishes and Danny sees Viola in the sink and drops a plate. She says that she saw her, she's there and Jamie says, what did you see? And she says, her. I keep seeing her. And Jamie um, says, okay, all right, it's gone. And Danny says, is it gone? Is it? And Jamie is instantly kind of like, I think, shaken by this. And she says, it's going to be okay. You can't think the worst. You know, we could have so many more years. We could have so many more years. It's going to be okay. And then she kind of go, approaches with the joke, like, I'll do the washing up from now on. You're shit at it anyway. And, like, embraces her. Yeah, Jamie's terrified, too. You know, she doesn't want their time to be up. She wants to calm Danny not only to soothe her, 
but also to soothe herself. She doesn't want it to be real. She doesn't want it to be there. And I think at this point, like how long they've had together, mm -hmm. like Jamie has convinced herself that the moment will never come. They will be able to overcome whatever happens that Viola's not going to take Danny away from her. At this point, it's built up a lot for Danny and she's like really struggling with it. But Jamie is like kind of confronted with it in this moment again. And it's a lot. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, get lulled into a false sense of security. You don't want to believe that it's a possibility. And you're being confronted with it and you don't want to believe that it's possibly true. And also it's a callback. Like Jamie is like comforting Danny in the middle of a panic attack in ways that we've seen her before. And it's like kind of showing their connection and their relationship. And so it's very tragic. And then... We have Jamie walking in the door and says that she's just picked up their civil union paperwork. Says, uh, that's enough for now. We'll marry again when we can. Which just, like, shows her state of mind before she goes to see Danny. Like, she's not accepting that this is going to end. You know? Yeah. She thinks we're going to keep getting through this. And then when you see the water dripping out, I my heart was in my like stomach like mm -hmm. I was dreading what was about to happen same I thought she was going to be in the tub I thought she was going to be killing herself me too I, which I mean it's still very hard to watch this next scene Danny staring into the tub and this part is like just so fucking like I think tragically beautiful where Danny is like staring into the tub at Viola and says can you see her and Jamie says I only see you mm -hmm. and that's like something that's so beautiful about a partner to someone else like experiencing their own demons no matter what it is like mental illness actual illness whatever you want to make that like you see like that person for who they are and then, you know, she's apologizing for the water and Jamie's saying water is easy to clean up. And uh, Danny says, I'm so tired, Jamie. And Jamie says, I know. And Danny says, it's like every day I feel myself fading away, but I'm, but I'm still here. And Jamie tries to like ground her and say, you're still here. You're here. And Danny says, it's like, I see you in front of me and I feel you touching me and every day we're living our lives, but it's like, I don't feel it all the way. And I'm not even scared of her anymore. I just stare at her and it's getting harder and harder to see me. Maybe I should just accept that and go. And Jamie says, no, not yet. If you can't feel anything, then I'll feel everything for the both of us. But no one is going anywhere. You're still here. Danny says, what if I'm here sitting next to you, but I'm just really her? And Jamie says, one day at a time. So this fucks me up so much when I think about it from a mental health perspective. And I think about it in terms of like Danny, like, you know, being like a psychotic disorder, or schizophrenia or something. Jamie loving Danny so much that she doesn't give a shit about the fact that Danny has just let all of his fucking water pour into their apartment, possibly causing damage on the floor. 
it speaks so much to me about Danny feeling as if though she's losing this battle and she's no longer being herself and this feeling of should I succumb and should I just let that take over me because I don't know that I'm really here and like what if it's really not me who's here anymore and Jamie like saying like I only see you and I'll feel enough for the both of us and her just willingness to be there for her I think so much about what a person's mental health, the toll it takes on a partner. Um, but part of why I was like sobbing as I watched this is I related to Danny in that when I'm at my worst, I look at my wife and I wonder, would she be better if we weren't together? And she didn't have to deal with being with someone who struggles with their mental health. And bless my wife, I love her. Um, later on when... You know, we'll get to it when fucking Jamie's like in the fucking lake saying, you, me, us. My wife says, you see her? She's like, that's how much I love you. And so all of this shit, all of this episode just fucking wrecks me. It's like the message that like whatever it is uh, that you feel is your demon, you deserve love too. And a person can fully love you despite that, you know, because despite everything that Danny's experienced and feeling, you like never doubt for a second how Jamie feels about her. And you never wish that Jamie didn't love her either because you feel like it's a thing that they both deserve. Um, so like, I think that's the general messaging, but like the performance here, like really fucking fucks me up on both levels uh like how danny is like so broken and so like so much a shell of herself the thing that's brought her peace in life is her relationship with jamie and like what happens if she can't feel that anymore like she doesn't want this relationship to be like taken over by Viola. Like it's this fear that like this person will take over and like destroy the thing that she had, like the sacred thing that Danny had. I mean, the difference between ownership and, you know, love and possession, you know, she wants this to be love. She doesn't want it to turn into something awful. Yeah. And Jamie, <sighs> Jamie, is a character that I really love and relate to like especially in this moment because like just relating it to my own life and my own struggles with like dealing with my mom and her own like health problems like I wasn't as understanding as I could have been like you know and there's this like this like like appreciation for Jamie and like wishing I could be her and like give that to somebody too you know and that that like Jamie's role in the story is like almost equally tragic to Danny's and equally like poignant and beautiful and I really loved that and I mean like Jamie like kind of wrecks me here like it's in her breathing like when she's in the scene with Danny, because she like physically sees Danny slipping away from her. And she's like, you know, like she's saying what Owen said before, like, I'll feel everything for the both of us. Like, grab onto me, hang on to me. I will like carry you through. And 
it's very powerful uh, to like see this like level of devotion between these two women on screen. Yeah, I, I found this entire like bathtub scene so emotional. And then like as we progress to like them laying in bed and when Danny like, you know, feels Viola take over, like when that happened, I don't think that I worried that she would actually hurt Jamie because I knew that her love was so strong. And, um, you know, just that like ultimate act of love, which isn't to romanticize suicide. You know, this is like a horror, you know, gothic <laughs> a horror version story. of it. Yes. Yeah. You know, but that act of like love, which is, I'm not going to let this turn evil. I'm not going to let this turn bad. I'm going to make sure that you're okay. And she writes her a letter and like, God, I'm like devastated. Like as I watch Jamie open up that letter and God knows what, like what Danny wrote to her. Like, can you imagine? I don't know. I've tried to think about what it would say. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, would she explain? Would she say like, it's time? Would she say, I love you? Like whatever I think of what Danny would say, it's equally devastating. Yeah. What can you say to encompass 13 years of loving someone completely? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Danny says, but I imagine that it expresses her love. And Jamie reads it and she, like her face, like she reads it with this like, you know, like she knew that that was coming at some point in their relationship as much as she didn't want it. I think it's like heartbreaking for me because we see them asleep and you see like Jamie holding to Danny. Uh Uh-huh. And I just kind of feel like at this point in their relationship, like Jamie was just like trying so hard to hang on to to Danny. And when it, she wakes up and reaches out for her and she's not there. Gone. And then we get the narration. The au pair knew the moment had come. She could not risk the most important thing, her most important person for one more day. <sighs> God. And the those words like about two women are just extremely powerful to hear. And then um we have Jamie going to Bly one last time and she um like goes straight to the lake and she stares at it and cries and then slowly wades into it and we get this narration from jamie uh when uh, jamie sees danny at the bottom of the lake and um she says the gardener said those words she heard those years ago she willed it with everything she had you me us take me with you she cried in her heart take me with you drag me down like you did the others but the lady in the lake was different now. The lady in the lake was also Danny. And Danny wouldn't. Danny would never. And no one has been taken to this day. I cry so fucking much seeing the pain. Like, I think Jamie acted, the actress, I think she did a great job of her just, like, yelling into the um, the lake. Just, like, begging Danny to take her. Because what is life without her? And, like... My wife and I frequently talk about this, which is like, we better go together because I don't want to live in a world without her. 
and she doesn't want to live in a world without me. And I think back to like Owen giving that speech in the beginning, which is like, you know, the ideal is you grow old together and my heart breaks because if she, if she fucking died <laughs> on me anytime soon, I don't know how the fuck I would get through the rest of my years. I don't know how I would do it. And I feel for Jamie so much because Danny won't take her and she's got to. She's got to live the rest of her life. Like from my head to my toe, like my whole body is like physically moved by watching this performance of Jamie in the lake, like begging Danny to take her because it's not a moment of like possession. It's not what Rebecca, what Jamie's asking for isn't even a moment of, of possession. It's a moment of like Jamie, like, almost wants to save Danny, I think, too. Like, she doesn't want just Danny to succumb to this either because it's unfair to the woman she loves on top of, like, the possibility that she has to live without her. And I don't think, like, Jamie could fully believe it until she saw her. Um, And so we see all of it in that moment. And, like, as she's, like, screaming and crying in the water and, like, struggling and, like that like exhaustion and then she like crawls to the shore and like sits there and stares at her ring and you know it's like this moment after 13 years it's like what they said like we can wear the rings and we'll know and she's like looking at this ring and she's seeing like the 13 years they had together and I can't even like imagine what that's like this is what breaks my heart the most in the whole show this next scene uh with the with the with the narrator and carla gagino's performance when she says and so for the rest of her days the gardener would gaze into reflections hoping to see her face her own lady in the lake she would leave the door cracked open at night should she ever come back waiting for her lover to return Years would go by and Danny now would know nothing of the gardener, nothing of her life together, and all the details would fade away. More time will pass and the water will wash away the the delicate features of her beautiful, perfect face, leaving the only trace of who she once was in the woman who loved her most. And how Jamie has, like, told this whole story, it really, like, resonates with me, like, specifically and how, like, I relate a lot of, like, and not in a specific way, but, like, the struggles of what Danny and Jamie went through to, like, my parents and my mom having a chronic illness and my dad losing her. Because my mom died, um, like, a few months before my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. My dad, like, still can't even talk about my mom to me. After she died, like, he just kept telling me, you know, like, she was my soulmate. She was my soulmate. I don't know how to live. Like, my my dad has lived his whole life with my mom, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, and that's, like, not to say that I don't think people should get remarried. Like, I do. Like, I, whatever. Like, I'm not judging anybody. But, like, 
I think there's like a beauty in like living with this in this relationship because I think it is true to some people like you know and it's like this idea that our love for people exists through stories because that's how I feel now like all I want and crave is stories stories about my mom like experiences from anybody literally anybody that can tell me something I want that because that keeps her alive to me so I really like kind of appreciated that this was Jamie I think finally probably for the first time telling the story and keeping like Danny alive in a way that she didn't really realize she wasn't before and that's kind of where like I think how we get to the end I don't know I think I was more emotional about Flora's response um where Flora started crying you know Flora is talking about like this gorgeous and you know this insanely gorgeous interesting man who's like you know in love with her and she worries about like the day that possibly like that he'll be gone. And that is who I am as a person is I am constantly waiting for the bad thing to happen. And so I love that, you know, the running theme through this story is appreciating the beauty of what you have when you have it, because I sometimes forget to do that because I'm like, well, this is really nice, but it's going to end. And it's just like, can you fucking enjoy what you have until it does? So I think that I'm more moved by Flora's response than I am by older Jamie's in this moment. Yeah. And I think um, Jamie's response where she's like, you know, don't let that hang over you. But when yeah. the time comes, it will be hard every day and it won't get easier. But eventually you'll find pieces of that life that remind you of them. They could be silly or dumb or you'll cry for hours, but there's still a piece of them and you'll hold them tight and it'll, and it'll be like, um, he's here even if he's gone. And it's obviously kind of her explaining how she's moved through this grief in her life, you know, and this is kind of why, like, I really don't have a problem with Danny dying to me. It makes the love even more resonant. Like, um, sometimes love like radiates in death and like stays with you. And like, I think the idea of like telling that story is what like doesn't mend the grief, but allows you to live with it. We have, um, the wedding reveal where we find out like it's Owen and Henry and Miles and Flora there um and the wedding is like makes me very emotional to just see jamie by herself at flora's fucking wedding and she couldn't get married to danny um and flora doesn't even remember danny but she's there at her wedding and it's just like <laughs> i know for a minute i was like who the fuck does flora think that this girl is <laughs> like um, I don't know. I feel like some things must have been changed enough to where Flora would have pick up on it. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I do think they kind of lost contact, but it's not a normal, like, that Henry's close friend would be there, I guess. So, like, that's how I could buy into it. And then we have uh, Jamie calling back to the beginning of the first episode, walking into her room 
filling the sink, filling the tub, looking for Danny. And then she opens the door and sits in the chair in front of it. And, um, you know, as the fucking, like, emotional song, I Shall Believe by Cheryl Crow is playing this whole time. As they say, like, please say honestly you won't give up on me. I shall believe. We zoom out and we see Danny's hand on Jamie's shoulder. <laughs> the lyrics, like, made me cry. You know, please don't give up on me. Oh, God. It's just like... The beginning of the song, like, is kind of fucking fucking me up about this whole moment where it says like come to me now and lay your hands over me even if uh -huh. it's a lie say it will be all right and i shall believe like oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, number one if you've ever lost somebody that song is just very in tune uh with those feelings <laughs> period but i just think it's like fucking beautiful like to see a physical manifestation of danny still being there with jamie and like yeah. this love between the two of them is so pure that danny is stays with jamie because she knows jamie needs her there but that she refuses to show herself because she was haunted by the ghost of her former yeah. lover and she doesn't want to haunt Jamie in that way because like I think it's implied even though Jamie struggles and looks for, for Danny like she's not living a horrible life like she's not like traumatized by all she's just a grieving person yeah I mean I, I, pers I agree with that I think that like Danny loved Jamie and it's the love of her life and will always be there. And so she's there, but she's not going to show herself for that reason. I just hats off to the show. I thought they told a beautiful, beautiful love story between Danny and Jamie. I thought Victoria Pedretti and Amelia Eve gave both really moving performances and I thought, you know, the dedication to the writing and directing, it was just all really there for me. I'm really grateful for it. It was very, very moving. And I'm really grateful for the way that the Haunting series continues to explore and talk about grief. Because I don't see it talked about like this. And I think through ghosts is such a smart and intelligent way to do that. To me, grief and death do feel like ghosts in my life. I really appreciated that. <sighs> yeah, I'm glad I watched this, even though it's made me cry a ton. It actually prompted a really good conversation between my wife and I <laughs> um, that I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm working on being more honest about shit. So I know I've talked about like having anxiety and shit before, but I think I've been a bit more honest in this podcast than I have in the past. And I'm trying to be more honest in my life. And I think this show has been helpful to that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I shared a lot about my personal experiences with grief. And uh, I don't really like talk about it that openly. Mostly not because I don't want to, but because it's not something that you do 
So uh, sorry if that uh, is off-putting, uh, but it's just really special to me to have this series. And it was really special to me to like see this like displayed between two women. Like there's just so many layers here that it, it really affected me on. And I think generally speaking, like a lot of people were touched and like embraced the story across many spectrums of life, which... I think is really beautiful and um you know it i was a di i felt like a different person for the whole first week after i watched this like i've also had more time to process the show than you have yeah <laughs> i watched it the weekend it came out and so if we maybe did this the week after i watched i don't know what state i would be in <laughs> so yeah props to you for being able to do this uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was just such a beautiful story and I loved it. And I hope that those of you listening also felt that way. Thank you to the people who kept talking about this show so that I had a cave and watched the lesbians. And um, I know this is a long episode, but I hope you all enjoy it. I would love if anything we said, like if we missed theories or you had other theories of or uh, how you analyze the scenes were different, like send them to us uh, because I would love to hear your perspectives. I think this affected a lot of us. So uh, you should share it as well with us. We'd be more than happy to, to listen to how the show affected you. And I just really loved like the end that like that Danny was the hero and she was a selfless person that had to sacrifice so much but she made the world a better place for two kids. And she wondered if she could. And she did. And Danny, who like struggled with like love, you know, like what is love? You know, she loved her best friend, but it wasn't the intimate kind of love for marriage. And then being haunted by this and blah, 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 ultimately makes this big sacrifice in love. And even in death acts in love. Like it's just all about what it is to truly love. <laughs> uh. I mean, I could just go on and on, but we've been talking for a really long time. Now. <laughs> I think it's time for us to put this to rest for tonight. Um, thank you guys for sticking with our long story, but I hope it resonated with you. This is our nine hour ghost story. So we appreciate you for sitting there like they did on the show. <laughs> we appreciate you all so much. And as usual, download this episode, rate and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, where have you. Follow us on Twitter at This Lesbian Shit, on Instagram at This Lesbian Ship, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. This Lesbian Ship is Intense is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.